are listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry, please visit EnduringWord.com. I apologize. I'm Chuck Musselwhite. I'm one of the board members. I had everything set up right. And then when it went to go uh, go live, the video didn't go live. So it's obviously something I did. I apologize for that. Um, and uh, I hope you guys can find the new feed. Hopefully you can hear me. Um, let me know if you can hear me. Um, but anyways, I have a couple of questions already. Um, one is from Sandy. This is Ask Anything Thursday. Um, I'm filling in for David just because they um, are coming back from vacation. Um, I had some travel issues and he was supposed to be here today um, and couldn't make it. So he asked me to fill in. So this is already kind of um, uh, kind of off the seat of the pants. So just bear with us. Um, but uh, <laughs> I love being here with you. I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, but it's ask anything. So let it kind of fly. Uh, the first question is from Sandy. And it says, am I still a sinner yet saved by God's grace? What is my nature? All right, we are born um, with a sinner's nature, okay? We are born into sin. Once um, uh, Adam and Eve committed the first sin, every human being after that was born into sin. And um, so we are born with a sinful nature, all right? And so we are sinners. But once we are saved by grace, we, are become, we become saints, or uh, a better term for that is set apart, and um, what that simply means is, is that we are sinners. We still continue to sin, but we don't have a sinful nature. That sinful nature has been put to death. It doesn't mean that we don't sin. It just means that that sinful nature is not our, um, our first nature. We are saints. We are set apart. And so we have that saintly nature, yet we're still humans. We're still here on earth. We don't have our perfection yet. And so we still continue to sin. And so we live under the grace. We still um, still need forgiveness for our sins. We still need to repent of those sins. Um, but um, we uh, um, we have conquered that sinful nature. And so um, uh, I just want to let you guys, um, Sandy, I hope that answers your question. All right. Maria says, when the New Testament says we do not have, a, have to do the law any longer, does that apply to the commandments? Um, okay. Um, so. The, the Old Testament law was set up for um, a system for them to earn their way um, in, in, into heaven, to earn their, 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 um, their, their way to God, all right? And Jesus uh, accomplished all of that upon the cross. And so now all we need to do is put our faith in Jesus Christ and our eternal destiny is taken care of, all right? So... We do we need to obey the commandments? Yes, because it's God's word, all right. But um, our uh, we aren't disqualified if, if we break those commandments, and we don't have to sacrifice an animal because the one and perfect sacrifice has been completed. So that happened through Jesus Christ upon the cross. So yes, obedience to Scripture, both old and new, still needs to happen because the principles of the Old Testament have carried over us. Well principles of the Ten Commandments have carried over into the New Testament. Now, I know a lot of people like to say, well, you know, what about all those crazy commandments that you see in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and all that kind of stuff? And a lot of those are cultural. A lot of those are contextual. But the Ten Commandments, 
you know, Jesus took those 10 commandments and he wrapped them up in two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Those took the 10 commandments and basically condensed them into two. So yes, we still do need to obey the 10 commandments because Jesus says the two greatest commandments are those. So yes, we do need to obey them because Jesus said them with his words. Um, but we aren't disqualified. We don't need to sacrifice an animal um, for our sins to be forgiven if we if we don't do that. So Maria, I hope that um, answers your question. All right. Patty says, why do the Jews follow their own year count? So we are 2022 and they are 5782. Okay, so I know David's a lot better probably on the Jewish calendar and th than I am. And I, I know I, I know just enough to get myself in trouble and completely um, screw it up. But I just know that they hold their days um, completely different. I know their months are 30 days um, as opposed to how we have some months are 31 days. And I know their, their years are shorter than ours. Um, and um, so, but I don't know exactly how, they, how we're at 2022 and um, 5782. So um, I know there's been 2,022 years since um, AD. Um, but if the Jews, um, they maybe they started counting sooner. Um, so I, I, Patty, I wish I could, I could answer that question for you, but I'm not an expert on uh, Jewish, um, uh, how they number their years or how they number their days. So that would be great. I would, I would love to be able to know that. I, I, I didn't even know they did 5782. So, all right. Okay. Lucho um, asked the question, was Adam a God before he sinned? No. No, Adam was completely man. He was created in the image of God, but he was not a God. He, it's very clear that, um, that in, in the seventh day, God created man, right? And he was, man is the only animal that, that, or the only creation of God that was created in the image of God. No other animal, no other fish, no anything was created in the image of God, only man. And when God created man, he was pleased, um, but he was, he was not um, God. Did God give man dominion over the rest of the other animals? Yes, yes. I'm laughing. My phone in my office never rings. And of course, here we are uh, in, in the first 10 minutes of this thing. My phone is ringing twice. And I just cracking up at that because nobody ever calls our church office. So now <laughs> like that, that people are calling. Okay, Abundant Life Ministries asks, is the fivefold ministry still in operation? Fivefold ministry. Okay, um, abundant life. I'm gonna um, probably need some more clarification on what you mean by the fivefold ministry um, because um, I, I've heard it said many different ways. And so, can you um, uh, can you kind of put back in the questions so Devin can kind of shoot it to me? Um, what you mean by that so I can clarify because I don't want to start answering off on something else. I just want to answer specifically uh, what you mean so I know exactly what you're talking about. I'll come back around if you if you will put that back in there, okay? Okay, um, Jay Pasqua, I hope I got that right, um, says, what are your thoughts on American Christian nationalism? Is this something that has roots to anti-Semitism or just good old-fashioned patriotism? Okay, Shakespeare did a play called Much Ado About Nothing. Um, and that is, I believe, my opinion on um, Christ American Christian nationalism. 
Um, and, and let's put it this way. This is, um, from, from my reading on this, um, this is wholly a social media and, and liberal political um, balloon. And what I mean by that is, is that it's political season here in America and the midterms and the Democrats are deathly afraid that they're going to lose all of their power. And so they're trying to create boogeymans. Um, and since Trump's out of office, they're creating things like American Christian nationalism. And so because the fact is, is that they're trying to take all these people who are both Christian and both pro-country and create something. And they've created something called American Christian nationalism. And, and they're trying to basically relate it back to slavery, relate it back to anti-Semitism. And, and so do I believe it's rooted in anti-Semitism? No. Um, could there be um, people who are anti or who are American Christian nationalists who are anti-Semitic? Yeah, of course. Of course, because because you're basically asking, are there Christian people who are patriotic who are anti-Semitic? Yes, but there are Christian um, patriotic people who are racist. There's Christian patriotic people who um, who are woke. You know, I mean, uh, they, they did a survey and, and they found that actually African-American people are the most uh, Christian nationalistic people in America. Um, and so it's really uh, much ado about nothing. But um, and so but it is it, it's not just patriotism there. It's really look at it as just a boogeyman that they're trying to. Um, uh, it's really the liberal um, Democrats trying to stir up their base um, because the people don't want to get out and vote because they're they're uh, they're, they're not motivated by any of their their candidates this year. So that's that's the way I, I see it. All right. Okay. Um, Shelly Fames asked this, do Christians have their personal angels? Um, I, I, I'm going to say no. And, you know, I've heard people teach that I've, um, but you know, in, in my 30, close to 30 years as a, as a minister studying the Bible, there's nowhere, um, can I, uh, um, uh, point to any scripture that says you have your personal angels. Now, um, are there a lot of angels and is, are, are there enough angels to probably be enough people on earth? Yeah, of course. Um, but, um, but there's nowhere in scripture that says, you know, um, that you have your personal angel. I think that's, uh, you know, in, in, at least of my generation, that's a precious moment, um, uh, uh um, creation kind of thing and um but but do i believe are there angels out there protecting um the saints oh of course yes um is there a spiritual battle going on that we have no clue about most definitely um and and if you want to take it on a serious level i mean it's like you know we fight a battle that's not physical or carnal we fight one that is in the heavenlies one that is that is um spiritual okay and, and that's the reality of it but um, to, to, you know, they have reduced, you know, these, these personal angels really kind of like almost to like butlers or, or, or maids or, or personal bodyguards. And, and, um, you know, really these angels are, are an army, um, that are fighting battles that are being led by the Archangel Michael and they're fighting against, you know, Lucifer and, and his, and his, and his demons. So, um, hope that answers your question, Shelly. Um, let's see here. Um, Sambo Mania 2142. Moses wanted to see God, but God said, No one can see me and live. In the transformation, Jesus revealed 
um, his glory to some of the disciples. Well, Jesus is God, so didn't the disciples see God? Okay, um, so um, let's start with Moses. First time Moses had an encounter with God was where? The burning bush. And what did God say? God called Moses over and he said, take your, your sandals off because the, the ground you're standing on is holy ground. And the bush was burning and God spoke to Moses there. Um, and then Moses was up on the mountain and God passed by and he saw the backside of God. All right. And then um, I, I don't think it was the transformation. I think it was the Mount of Transfiguration. Of course, that's, you know, I'm getting I'm getting text questions. So it's obviously autocorrect there on the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, the disciples, you know, they see Jesus. He's this this almost like this translucent white and he's with um, he's, he's with Moses and with Enoch. And, and they're encouraging him, and he, he wants to build three tabernacles and all that kind of stuff. And, um, but in Colossians chapter 1, I believe it's in verse 15, it says, if you've seen me, Paul says, you know, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. And, and so um, uh, Sambomania, yes, um, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. But I want to go back. To what I just said about, um, and, I, and I think, uh, who was it, the question I asked about, um, uh, oh, it was Lucho, is Adam a God? And I, and I basically said, you know, we are created in the image of God. And so, you know, Paul says, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God, you know, you've seen the image of God, and we are created in the image of God. Not that we're gods. I don't want you to take that whatsoever. But what I want you to say is that I want you to understand is that we are created in the image of God. Jesus was created. He was both fully God and fully man. Have we seen God? And I don't think it has anything to do with looks. The reason that we haven't seen God, and I want to point you to, to the book of Revelations, because when he is in the temple, it says that like that, that smoke is going out and nobody can can uh, inhabit the temple, like even the angels or anybody else. Why? Because his holiness is so great. I think that is the reason that why nobody has seen God is not because, um, because of the image or, or looks. It's because we are uh, unholy, sinful beings, and we are in these human, uh, frail uh, tents. And the fact is, is that we won't be able to see God in our perfect heavenly bodies. And, and we were able to see him then. And we're just, we're just in uh, um, imperfect bodies, incapable of seeing him right now. I think that if we, if we did, it would, it would just, we would uh, be incinerated just like that. So I hope, Sam, I hope that uh, in a very roundabout way kind of answers your question. That's typically the way I answer questions on here. So, all right. Uh, Paul, um, Paul asked this question. How does one prepare to write detailed commentary about a chapter or a verse okay um well the, the I, I okay i i'm not david guzik i um i write devotionals i'm i'm the author of the daily walk devotion so i have written um uh three devotionals called the daily walk devotion i do a a, a devotional site called dailywalkdevotion.com um so i can speak a little bit to this because i've written close to three or 1300 devotionals um, and I know what it's like to take a scripture and then kind of explain it a little bit. Um, uh, but I haven't wrote a devotion, I haven't written a commentary like David is, and I'm not David Guzik, if, uh, Paul. I'm, I, I'm sorry if you turned in, uh, if you tuned in to talk to him, uh, he'll be here next week. 
but I can speak a little bit to that because one, I'm on the board, but also two, I, I, little, I have a little bit of how notice how David goes about this. Okay. Um, the first way to go about, about doing it is, is something called the inductive Bible study or inductive uh, uh, Bible uh, yeah, study. So what you do is you, you take that chapter and you break it down. You break it down into the sections, and that's how you see David's commentary. You see it broken down into sections, okay? And, and then what he does is he then he breaks it down into verses, all right? And then he explains it. And then when he wants to back it up, he, he'll pull in a Spurgeon, or he'll pull in Trap, or he'll pull in Clark. And, and those are all commentators, except obviously like Spurgeon was, you know, the prince of preachers, stuff like that. And, and, he, and he has this wonderful, wonderful commentary. But what he's done is he's done his study, and he's done the, he starts with the inductive Bible study by basically, you know, observing the, the text. He's read that text numerous times, not just in the New King James Version, like what I think is the version that he uses. I, I know it's the word he uses in his commentary, but he's read it in other translations. Um, and then he has, what he's done is he's done his observation, and, and he notices the key words, and he notices the breaks in the scripture. Um, and then he... Um, then he does a wonderful job of, of taking very difficult points and making them very simple for uh, um, uh, the every man and every woman to understand and, and then gives application. And I think that's why, you know, close to 30 million people a month get on his website um, in, I don't know, I, I can't remember. I know it's over 10 different languages every month. So um, if you, that's, a, I, you know, that's a board member's perspective. Of course, he 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 would give you a much uh, uh, more in-depth uh, uh, um, answer. And you know, who knows? One of these days, maybe he'll do a special YouTube video on that and uh, and answer your question. But that's Paul. That's a great question. Okay, um, the next question is from Tunnel Bannon twenty three. Is the Great White Throne Judgment the only calm moment that the unsaved will endure after death okay tunnel bannon um that's a good question um but i i i might refute you for just a second <laughs> um because i i'm not sure that the great white throne judgment is going to be such a calm moment um for two reasons one you're going to have the holiness of god there okay and, I, and just a few minutes ago, I explained about how when God was in, in heaven and he was in his throne room and there's, you know, there's thunder, lightning, there's smoke coming out of that. It, and it's God's holiness. I mean, and, and, and people on earth could feel that. OK, that's what the great white throne judgment is going to be like. So that's one aspect right there. You're going to have that holiness right there. But also, too, you're going to have the fear of everyone being judged now. I'm not sure if you've ever been in circumstances like that before, but those aren't very calm moments. Um, you know, when, when, when the judge walks in, um, in a courtroom and he's asking the jury, uh, for a verdict and that, um, that defendant is asked to rise that, is, I mean, it may be quiet while they're waiting for the verdict, but it's not calm. Um, in the sense, cause that you could feel the nerves, you can feel the tension going on right there. So, um, that's, that's, um, so, but, but you are right in the sense of that there may be, there may be some stillness, but 
calm. Um, you know, I, I might debate you on that, but everything else going on out there, yeah, it's going to be crazy. So good question, though. Good, good stuff. So, all right, Deidre Palladino. She writes this question. Would you give your view on James 2.13? Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Does mercy triumph over judgment? Great question. And, you know, this is something that um, is repeated time and time again in the Old Testament. Um, man, it's uh, Samuel repeated it to, to Saul. Um, and, uh, and, and Isaiah repeated it to the, the Jews. Um, Jesus repeated it to the Pharisees. I mean, this is a recurring, recurring theme. Um, sacrifice over, you know, he, he desires mercy over sacrifice, you know, um, same thing. And, and so mercy over judgment. Yes. Because why? Even though God is a God of judgment, as I've just talked about, most importantly, he's a God of mercy. And right now we are in the age of mercy, but there will become a time. There will be a time of judgment. His mercy will run out. Um, his patience will run out and he will invoke his judgment upon mankind for all of those who have judged him. Now, people can say, well, that's harsh and that's so mean. But if you look at the book of Revelation, he has given numerous, numerous opportunities for people to come to know Jesus Christ. Even in the tribulation, you see, I mean, I mean, it's going to be so obvious that they just need to turn to Jesus, but their hearts are so hard, just like Pharaoh was during the plagues. And they're going to say, I'd much rather have rocks fall on me than to come close to God. So, um, Deidre, yes, mercy is so important. Um, mercy always triumphs over judgment. And we should be like God. We should triumph. We should um, uh, champion mercy over judgment all the time. And you know what? Sadly, we're in an age right now where we are quick to judge. You know, um, we're, we're slow. Um, we're, we're slow to uh, uh, listen and we're quick to judge. And, and that's the sad thing about it. And, uh, and, but God, is, God is, is quick to mercy. And that's the way he wants us to be. So, yes, yes, please, please let mercy triumph over judgment. Okay. Wow. The questions are just pouring in. That's awesome. SNL, is there any profit to exploring the additional books that are not in the Bible? <laughs> um, okay. So, um, there's probably a couple categories here. You have the Apocrypha. Okay, and these were the four. Uh, these were the books like the Maccabees and all that kind of stuff that the Catholics have included in their Bible. And those are the books that supposedly were written during the the um, intertestamental period, that 400 period where God didn't speak to the church. Um, no, those are those. And that's where a lot of the Catholic Church got a lot of its traditions and a lot of its like sacraments and all that kind of stuff. No, it doesn't do any good to study those unless you are a, a church history. Um, professor or a church history buff. Um, but even then, um, of course, now you've heard of like the books of Thomas or the gospels of Thomas and, and all these, I mean, it, it seems like every, you know, every few years right around Easter, um, the, the, the history channel, you know, discovers some new book 
and um, you know, no, no, you would be much rather uh, better off to study books like the Dead Dead Sea Scrolls, like all the stuff, like amazing, like how you know. For all those years, architects said, no, this doesn't happen. We don't have any evidence for this. And then all of a sudden the Dead Sea, Dead sea Scrolls gets pops up and they have, you know, perfect copying uh, of the Dead, Dead Sea Scrolls from way before Jesus' time and uh, of the Old Testament. And, and it's like it almost lined up perfectly with the Old Testament today. Nothing major uh, doctrinally. Um, and it's like that's stuff that you really want to study. But all the other books, no. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like you, you want to study the real thing. Um, and the thing is, is that, you know, it's, it's kind of like when you study the real thing, you study the fake thing. It's like, this is, there's no profit in it, you know? So, but good question. SNL. Good, really good question. Yaron A. Kelbessa. What is the difference between flesh, soul, and spirit? Okay. Body, soul, and spirit. Okay. Um, body is, is your body. Okay. This is, this is, you know, this is all of the physical parts of, of the, um, uh, um, your, your, of your life. Okay. Um, the soul is, is literally your, um, your emotions. I, I always get these screwed up. So I apologize if I do. Okay. Um, uh, cause, uh, but the soul I always take is, is, is like, you know, this is like the, the part that is um, your emotions, your, um, your, your feelings, your all, all that kind of stuff. And then the spirit is, is your spiritual side. That's it. That's what is, that's what you feel the Holy Spirit nudge you when you have sinned, when you need to come to Jesus Christ. And, and so you have a, you have a difference between your physical body. The soul is all of your emotions and the spirit is, is that spiritual side that, that you connect with God. That is your spiritual life. That's that you're, when, when it says that you are a new creation in Christ, you have died to that old spirit, that sinful spirit. And now you are a new creation. You are a new spirit. Because unfortunately, you don't get the new body yet until you get to heaven. Okay? And, and unfortunately, even probably more so, you don't get the new emotions Probably that's probably you should probably even more so get, but a new spirit should affect the soul. It should it should get control over that. So I hope that I hope that hope uh, helps you out a little bit there, um, Yaron. But I'm really not um, uh, an expert on that. Okay, so um, all right. So abundant life got back to me. Uh, the fivefold ministry out of four Ephesians four eleven. Okay, this is what I thought you were talking about, but I I, I just I wanted to make sure so. So let me pull this up. Actually, let, let me let me go right over here and grab my Bible. Okay, sorry. Ephesians four eleven, and let me read it to you guys, and then um, and then I'm um, I it, I'm much happier that this is exactly what you were talking about as opposed to other stuff that I've I've heard. So. All right. Ephesians 4.11 says, And he gave the apostles, um, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Okay. Now, I'm reading the ESV. Okay. And if I popped up um, the New King James Version, um, which I can do in, in, in um, just a second. Maybe not. Okay. Um, 
the New King James Version has that apostles um, capitalized, okay? And I believe the office of capital A apostles um, stopped when the last apostle died in, in the first century, okay? So um, now, can there be apostles? And apostles just means messenger. Um, can there be apostles today? Can there be uh, leaders of movements? Yes, but but do is it beneficial to call them apostles? No, it's just confusing. Um, I I think it's unwise to use that term apostles nowadays. Um, I think it's uh, it does a disservice to the apostles because I think it tries to elevate people to that um, to that special position. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, I don't agree with that, that apostles, but I do believe in the other four. Um, so I do, uh, so abundant life. Yes, I do believe there of the fivefold, but I, I do believe there's leader of movements. I think Chuck was a leader of movement. He would hate pastor Chuck Smith of Cameron Chapel. He, he would refuse to be called an apostle, but he was a leader of a movement. Um, and so, so that, but yeah, I believe the other four are, are so in, in need today. Cause if you, if you look at it, it says right here, um, it says uh, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Shepherds is just another term for pastors. Um, and so, yes, I think we need prophets. I think we need, and, and um, I, you know, not so much in prophets in the sense of like, um, you know, like the Isaiahs of, of talking about this is what's going to happen in the future. I think because um, there's foretelling and there's forewarning. Um, and I think we need prophets who are going to be people who are like Jeremiah. Um, they're, they're the ones, you know, they're the ones literally forewarning everybody. Um, is there anybody going to listen to them? No, but I think that we need more people doing that. Um, I think we need evangelists. I think we need pastors and we need teachers. So yes, I hope that that answers your question about that. Okay. All right. Laura Ball asks Ephesians three through five, is Paul speaking to believers? If so, does that mean that they are not saved? If that is the case, does it once does once saved always saved not hold water here? Ephesians five three. Okay, so let's um, let's go to Ephesians five three. All right, um, it says, but sexual immorality and all purity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immure or um, immoral or pure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance of the kingdom of God. Um, okay, so yes, Paul is talking to believers here, okay? Um, the whole book of Ephesians is talking to believers. He's talking to the church of Ephesus. <coughs> Excuse me. And not just the church of Ephesus, he's talking... Um, the church of Ephesus was a hub. So this went to the church in Colossae. This went to the church in Laodicea. This went to the church in Philadelphia. There was, you know, the seven churches right around there, which was kind of like a, a lot of people believe was like a postal route. Um, oftentimes the letter was copied and sent to all of them too. So they got these letters um, as well. And, and Ephesus got a lot of letters like Colossae, uh, Colossians and all those kind of stuff. And so they, they were edified by all these letters. Um, and so, uh, so, you know, once saved, always saved. Okay. I, I'm going to tell you what I believe. And, and then, you know, and I, and I believe David um, believes a lot of the same thing as well. Um, 
Can you lose your salvation? No, you cannot lose your salvation. Um, Romans 8 talks about, you know, nothing can separate you from the love of God. But can you leave your salvation? Yes. Yes, you can leave your salvation. How can you leave your salvation? Well, it talks about ways you can leave your salvation here. Sexual immorality, idolatry, um, and, and just walking away from the faith, no longer wanting to Lord Jesus be your Lord and Savior. Um, I, I believe you can walk away from your faith. I, I've seen it so many times, you know, and um, and I know, you know, Calvinists will rage and I know people will get all upset. But the fact is, is that, you know, and, and I, I know they'll throw Romans nine at me and all that kind of stuff. And they'll 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 throw every meme, in, in, you know, in the on the in the Internet at me. But the basic fact is, is that, you know, they can they can do that. But th when the reality hits the road. You know, the, the Bible says that we'll be judged by our fruit. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and then they, you know, obviously they try to go with election and all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I believe that um, that Paul is talking to believers. And I believe that people can um, that can follow Jesus Christ. And then but then they fall in love with other things. And, and then and then they walk away from Jesus Christ. So so I hope that um, Laura, I hope that answers your question. Okay, Iran has another question. It says, why does our Bible not have the book of Enoch? Um, because it's, um, it, it was not canonized um, by the early um, church fathers and, um, and because it's, it has serious issues. <laughs> uh, and um, I, I'm not versed enough in the book of Enoch to give you specifics on it. May, uh, David probably is. Um, but I do know that there's enough flaws in it to prevent it. And I, and it, and it, and I know you want to say this, but it, but it possibly could not even have been discovered um, until well after the Bible was canonized, but don't hold me to that. Um, but uh, the, the, there's serious, serious issues with, uh, with, with the book of Enoch. So, so anyways, you're on, I hope that answers your question. All right. Texas lioness. <laughs> I like that. If two older Christians who've never married, been married, get married, is that okay? Okay. I, I asked due to scriptures. I know that, um, I know that speak about marriage and its purpose for reproduction. In my case, is it, is it okay to marry at our age, even though it is too late for reproduction? Oh, you know, <laughs> um, I'm so glad you asked this question. I, I feel like I, I, um, I don't want to say I'm an expert in this area, but um, I, I have done my fair share of weddings um, for um, older couples. Um, uh, and and um, in fact, I've had um, several weddings where the, um, the bride or, or somebody like that um, was well, um, well past childbearing uh, age and they were getting married for the first time. And I got to tell you this, um, it was one of the most sweetest ceremonies and, um, the, you know, besides all, all of the finally jokes and the, the, the ribbing of the, uh, of the bride's dad and all that kind of stuff, um, the sweetness and the, the joy on the bride's face, oh, it was, it was priceless. And, and man, the celebration was so great, and and to see the joy in the couple's face um, as as they um, as they grow in their marriage. So, um, marriage is not just for 
reproduction. That's one of the byproducts. Um, uh, marriage is, is for love and companionship. Um, marriage is, um, is, is so that uh, we can have relationships and we don't fall into sin uh, of sexual immorality. Um, marriage is, is part of God's divine design. And um, if you fall in love with somebody and you're older in life and you are, you know, that's of God, then, then go for it. Do it. There's nothing wrong with it. You, you if anybody's telling you not to get married um, just because you can't have kids, um, smack them. I mean, seriously, I was like, what are they thinking? It's so dumb. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm just like, you know, God has brought that person into your life and, and, um, and, and what a blessing. So um, I hope that I, I hope that answers your question there. So uh, Sally asks, asks a question. How is my relationship with God supposed to feel? What if I'm angry at God? Well, first of all, I'll tell you, Sally, if you're angry at God, he's okay with that. He really is. He's a big boy. He can handle it. Um, he knows why you're angry. And honestly, he wants you to tell him why you're angry and he wants you to work through that anger with him. He doesn't want you to seclude yourself from him. He doesn't want you to run away from him. He literally wants you to work that out with him. And he's okay with you being angry with him. It's not a sin to be angry. I, I, I think I was taught that when I was growing up. Of course, now I grew up in a very legalistic Pentecostal church where you know, and, and I was taught a, a, a really good reverence for God. So I don't want you to think I'm, I'm, I'm bashing it, but, but, um, the fact is, is that, you know, if I was angry at, at, at God, it was my problem. Well, to a certain extent, it was my problem because, but it wasn't my problem. Um, with the way they're talking about it is like, I had to figure it out. I couldn't talk to God about it, but, but, but what I want you guys to understand is this, is that I, could have had some great conversations with God when I was angry with him. And I, and I didn't. And I want you guys to understand if you're angry at God, the first person he wants you to talk to is God is him. And he wants you to, to, to have it out. He wants you pour his, your heart out on him. And, and it's okay for you to feel angry with him because you know what you're human and he understands that and he's okay with that. And he can handle that. But how should you feel with God? Well, I would take you, I would take you to Romans chapter five. And in Romans chapter five, it talks about how, you know, when we receive Jesus Christ, it says that, that there's this peace that comes upon us, that our heart is, um, is filled with the love by the Holy Spirit, that, that there's this um, joy that comes upon us and that, that we, are, we are surrounded by his grace. Um, that's how we should feel in our relationship with Jesus Christ. If we don't feel that way, um, probably other things have crowded that out. Um, and we're not communing with him enough in his word. We're not worshiping him enough. Um, we're not um, at peace with his sovereignty. Um, and so, and not saying that we should always like feel that way, but what I'm saying though is, is like, it, the way you should feel is, is what's talked about in Romans chapter five, the first five verses right there, I believe. And so I want to encourage you. That's what you guys should be um, in, in inspecting right there. So, all right. I hope that helps you right there, Sally. Um, and, and don't feel guilty. 
Don't ever feel guilty for being angry at God. Okay. In fact, I would encourage you to push in, push forward and, and work through those issues. Okay. He knows, and he wants you to help, help you. Okay. Cal, can you share from your experience how we can best pray for our pastor's wives? Ooh. All right. Well, um, let's see here. So I've been married to my wife for 25 years. Um, and, um, she is an incredible pastor's wife. She's also a high school English teacher. Um, we have four teenagers. Um, and, um, and so, uh, couple ways to pray for pastor's wife. First of all, um, one, October is pastor's appreciation month. So starting Saturday, um, the whole month of October is pastor's appreciation month. Um, you can flood her with prayer. You can flood her with cards. You can flood her with gifts and appreciation. Okay. Um, why? Because a lot of churches treat pastor's wife as unpaid staff. They, they underpay the pastor and then they just expect that the pastor's wife just comes along as, as an addition. And, and most pastor's wives, they accept that and they willingly go along and most churches get a twofer for half the price. And um, that's, that's, that's sad, but, but, but God sees it and he'll reward it. And, and um, those pastors and those wives are serving the Lord, not, not so much they're serving the church. And so um, I would pray for that. They're, they're tired. Um, they're, they're worn out um, because um, they, they have all the regular stresses of life and they're leading a church. Um, uh, a lot of pastors' wives are becoming bivocational because the cost of living. Um, a lot of them are raising children, and they're trying to do so in, a, in an increasing secular um, uh, country or, or society. And, and so I pray for them in that area. Um, um, but I would also um, uh, encourage you to go beyond um, prayer and make things tangible. Um, it, Give uh, give anonymous gifts, give anonymous blessings, um, and you know, like you know, the Bible says, you know, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Um, I would encourage you. Um, I would encourage you to do that, um, and that. But just pray for their strength. Pray for their stamina. They get they get the most passive aggressive comments um, of anybody in, in the whole. Um, uh, the whole, the whole church. Cause they, people want to go through them to get to the pastor because people do it to my wife all the time. And so pray for them for strength and wisdom and discernment on all of that. All right. Um, so salvation zone were asked this question during a Jubilee year is the feast of trumpets, the last trumpet blown on the day of atonement Leviticus 25, nine through 10. If so, then do we still have until early to mid-October before the true Feast of Trumpets, Leviticus 25, 9 through 10, New King James Version. Um, then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the 10th day of the 10th of the seventh month on the Day of Atonement, and you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all the inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. Okay, um, are we in a jubilee year this year? Is I, I thought we were. It didn't seem like we were in a jubilee when it, when uh, somebody asked the, the the you know the years from Israel earlier. Um, but um, according 
to what you're putting here, Salvation Zone, um, uh, it looks like that the um, it, it, it it looks like you answered your own question that the trumpet of jubilee is to sound is it is the last one. So I, I would have to. I mean, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna beg your um, apologies here because I'd have to do a lot more a lot more studying because it's kind of a, a um, it, it's kind of a unique peculiar question in the sense of like where it's going at here. So. Um, but I, I, you know, I'll, I'll look into it, but I, I, I just don't have the parameters right now to be able to, to answer that. So I, I'm, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry on that. So, um, but from what you say right here, I, I'm going to agree with you. And, I'm, and if I'm wrong, I, I'm sorry, but I just don't, I don't have the backing right now to be able to, um, to, to either go in depth or disagree with you on you. So. Anyways, well, that was the last question. Thank you so much for a wonderful, wonderful time. Sorry for the the technical um, uh, difficulties, and uh, but I'm always, I'm always, always, always uh, uh, enjoying the time that I have here. So have a blessed, blessed day, and uh, David will see you guys next week. God bless you guys. You've been listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry and how to grow in your relationship with Jesus, please visit EnduringWord.com.